Our sermon passage this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 1. You can find that on page 1188 or 1188 of the Pew Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 1, and we will be reading verses 13 through 21. Before I read, would you please join me in seeking the Lord in prayer? Lord Jesus, we come before you uh, in need. We need your word and we need your spirit. And we, as your sheep, need to hear the voice of our shepherd. We are dealing with so much, the struggles against sin, the difficulties in this world, the disappointments, frustrations, so many things that could uh, make our hearts heavy. But we believe that in the preaching of the word, you grow us, you stir us to maturity, to faith, hope, and love. So I pray that you would accomplish that this morning, Lord Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 13. Please give your attention to the word of God. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober. And rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children... Not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on the Father, without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear knowing that you, were re- that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Uh, Well, last week, uh, Peter was urging uh, these Christians and Bithynia, Cappadocia, to look beyond the present trial of their circumstances. And he described their sufferings and trial as a fire. And so what Peter did is lifted their heads and said, look beyond the fire to the future. And he uses the term, the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is when Jesus will return and save his people completely and completely conquer his enemies. And so Peter says, look to the future and recognize your reasons to rejoice. 
And those reasons to rejoice were knowing that when we experience difficulties, it's to grow our faith. It's also a, a reminder, this future salvation, that we are being preserved by the power of God in our trials, and that we have an inheritance kept for us. An inheritance that isn't like this world. The inheritance won't uh, be defiled. It won't perish or go away. And so then, Peter says, well, now that we've looked in the future, let me bring you back to the present and tell you how to act. Uh, At this point in Peter's letter, he hasn't really been giving any commands. He hasn't said to these churches in Asia Minor, do this. Uh, But he's getting ready to do that now. Now that you are back in the present, now that you know what lies ahead of you, let me tell you what you need to be doing now. Uh, That's our therefore in verse 13. Uh, Now that you know you are being kept by the power of God, that your suffering, as difficult as it may be, is growing your faith, and that what awaits you is praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ, now let me tell you how to act. And so he starts with verse 13 with this language of gird up the loins of your mind. What an odd phrase that is. Now, it's odd to us because we don't wear robes and tunics. Uh, But for Peter's audience, they know what he's getting after. Uh, This is battle language or hard work language. You're wearing your robe and tunic, and so if you have to pick up a heavy load, you want to tie up some of that material so you can squat down to pick something up or run freely in battle. So they understand what Peter is talking about. We actually even see this in the book of Job. God says to Job, gird up your loins like a man, because God is getting ready to confront Job. But what's kind of interesting is that Peter then says, gird up the loins of your mind. So do that preparation for hard work and battle in your mind. It would be like roll up the sleeves of your mind, lace up the uh, the sh- lace up your shoes in your head to prepare for action. Now, Peter is rousing the church to action. And then it gets really weird, right? Because Peter's using this hard work battle language. And then what does he tell us to act like? Children. Prepare for action, get ready for battle. Prepare yourself and act like Matthew. Get ready for war and act like Jidah. That transition from hard work, labor, confrontation to do this as children. Well, one thing we can immediately note is that the Apostle Peter, our older brother in the faith, has grown. Because we remember reading in the Gospels that when the children came to, uh, to Jesus, Peter and the twelve said, no, <laughs> children don't come to Jesus. And the Lord says to Peter and the twelve, don't prevent the little children from coming to me. The kingdom of God belongs to them. So Peter has been listening to the Lord and he says to the church in exile, both those churches in Asia Minor and then to us this morning, 
there's something about children that we need to learn. Uh, we, we, we need to look at children because they give us instruction about how to be chosen pilgrims, or how to be exiles in this world. And what do we learn from children? A children expect and children imitate. That's our, our two points this morning. If you were looking at your bulletin, I know that's no surprise to you. It's right there in your bulletin. Children expect things. <laughs> that's no surprise to any of you. In fact, to many of you parents, you know so well that children expect things. That's why you're teaching them to say please or thank you. Children expect and children imitate. And this is what uh, Peter is calling chosen pilgrims to do. This is the will of God for you during your time in exile, to expect things from your father and to imitate him. And the first thing that you are uh, called to expect is in verse 13. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That hope is actually in the imperative. It's a command. Right? So this isn't just Peter making a statement. Christians should hope in the grace that will be brought to them. But he is saying, Christian, hope in Christ Jesus. He is charging the church that one of the things you need to expect is that the Lord Jesus is returning and he will bring you grace. And that grace is what we looked at earlier, that you will share in the praise, honor, and glory of Jesus Christ. Of course, this is grace because why should you share in what Jesus has accomplished and done? It is grace that that he has called you to participate in his glory and exaltation. And I'm using the the word expect because uh, the way the biblical writers use hope is not the way we use hope. We use hope on percentages and desires. Man, I hope we're not going to get too many 60-degree weather days in June. That's what me and my family were talking about. Uh, This is a desire, a percentage. There's no certainty. Uh, But the biblical hope is something you must expect because it is going to happen. You remember that Peter has described God in in verse 2 as his foreknowledge, or even here in our sermon passage, Jesus, who was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Uh, The hope is certain because God is going to make it happen. And so Peter says, you must expect that at the end of your trial, at the end of your sojourning in this world, you will receive grace. It's kind of interesting that Peter is commanding hope. He's not leaving it up to those Christians in these churches to decide what they're going to hope in. He says, this is your hope. You must cling to this. Any other hope is not acceptable. And before you know, we take offense at that, uh, let me maybe offer a reminder I'm sure there's been a time in your life where you have hoped in something or had a desire that if this hope manifests, if this desire comes through, it's going to change my life. It's going to make everything great and better. And then that hope was fulfilled. Your wish came true and it turned out to be unhealthy, unhelpful, even damaging. 
This hope that you thought was certain turned out to be garbage. And let me tell you why that happened. A little secret here, just between me and you. You're a human. And because you're a human, that means your knowledge is limited. Your power is limited. You don't know everything. And so your hopes are limited, subject to fail. But the good news is you have a heavenly father who knows all things, who accomplishes all things, whose will cannot be resisted. And he says to the church, this is the hope that you can have that will not experience disappointment. At the revelation of Jesus Christ, every hope in this world will go through an evaluation. Here are the people who hoped in their career. Here are the people who hoped in the letters at the end of their name. Here are the people who hoped in their fulfillment and pleasure and so on and so forth. And they will experience shame. But only those who have obeyed this command to hope in the grace that would be brought to the church in the end. They will participate in the glory that is theirs in Christ Jesus. Peter says, expect this. Expect at the end of trial, you will receive glory. There's another thing that Peter uh, calls us to expect. Expect that you will have to give an account of your conduct to the Lord. Expect that the the God who you call upon in prayer and praise, that you will have to give an account to him of how you acted. This is verse 17. If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. Uh, Children expect their conduct to be observed and evaluated by their parents. This is how it works. Uh, My son, Beef, when he's getting ready to do something, normally he knows he shouldn't do it, and he thinks that nobody is watching him, what does he do? Well, he approaches uh, this action, or or whatever he's getting ready to get into, and he does this. looks to the left, and he looks to the right. Why is he doing this? Because he knows that if my actions are observed, I'll hear that word that I hate so much. No. Stop. Children expect that their actions will be observed by their parents and they will have to give an account. But this account that we give is to our father who judges. Uh, the way that Peter writes this, uh, the noun that, that is in describing that God is not judge. Peter doesn't say you as a Christian will give an account to the judge. Uh, That's for unbelievers who have not placed their faith in Christ. But he says you will give an account to your father who also judges. Uh, It's the difference between uh, being in a courtroom, standing guilty before the judge, and then that time where maybe for many of you when you would come home and mom or dad would say, son, daughter, how how did the day go? How did, you, how did you act today? And we will give an account of our conduct. The question will not be, did you believe in Jesus Christ, but how did you live as my child during your time in this world? 
And this can be scary. Maybe even make us feel like God's being a bit unfair. You're saying to us, God, that salvation is by grace. Right? It's not about works. It's about the grace of Jesus Christ. And now you're saying that I'm going to stand before you and have to talk about how I live? Why are you so focused about uh, how I'm acting? Uh, Didn't you see that I placed my faith in Christ? Didn't you see that I confessed Jesus Christ as Lord? And comments like these forget the four of salvation. Uh, What is salvation for? As we've been going through Peter. Verse 2, that this act of salvation is for obedience to Jesus Christ. In verse 8, Peter describes the church as loving him. And and you'll remember that I said to you that uh, Peter's not talking about warm fuzzies. Uh, That's what it means to love Jesus. But if you love me, you will keep my commands. They are loving the Lord Jesus through obedience. And here we see again... uh, Later in in our sermon passage, in verse 16, this idea that that one of the benefits of salvation, that is adoption, that we become the children of God, creates an ethic. Verse 16, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy, quoting Leviticus 19. And certainly Peter remembers Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Do you hear that link between adoption and ethics? You belong to God and therefore you must live this way. You know, I've been using children generally, but uh, in verse 14, really what Peter is saying is as obedient children. That this is what we have been called to. So we're presented with the question. But how do you live in such a way where you are ready for that account? That day where you will stand before the Father and say, this is how I conducted myself in Cambridge. This is how I lived. Uh, Especially as many of you, when you became members of this church, uh, said that you look forward to this day hoping to give an account with great joy before the, before the Father. And how do you do this? <clears throat> you imitate the Father. Uh, you imitate God. Uh, you know, as I was uh, preparing for this, this sermon, it, it made me think about something that I saw maybe about four or five years ago. Uh, it was at a church, RP Church in Pittsburgh, and it was during fellowship lunch. And this church where they had fellowship lunch has a huge stage. Maybe it's about like up to here. And the children of the church loved to jump off of that stage. And of course, you had parents that would be like, ah, kids are going to jump off the stage, it's fine. And parents who were a bit concerned. Uh, but there was one little boy who was watching all the children jump off the stage and having the time of their lives. And I was talking to this little boy's father. And so as I was talking with his father, the dad noticed that his son was watching what everyone else was doing and was getting closer and closer to that edge. And then in a flash, my conversation with his dad ended 
because he zoomed over and caught his son before his little boy crashed and hit the floor. And when he caught his son and put him back on the stage, he said, Son, now that I've saved you from your fall, you can continue to act just like everybody else. You know, that's not what that father said at all. He said, Son, you can't jump like these other kids. You're a little kid. You're a baby. You can't do this. And so this boy was in a position that Adam was in. I've witnessed Eve take this apple. Will I imitate my wife or will I be like God? It was a situation that Israel was in. Now that I've been delivered from the house of bondage, now that I've been saved out of Egypt, will I look like the other nations and imitate them or will I be like God? And this is what imitation calls us to. It's maybe two sides of an imitation coin, if you will. Resistance. I'm not going to be like this person or, or these individuals. And I am going to imitate God. And so we, we see uh, this call to resist in verse 14. Do not conform yourselves to the former lust, as in your ignorance. Peter states in the letter what those former lusts consisted of. Lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and idolatries. Uh, Later, uh, Peter will write in chapter 4, the time to live for these things has passed. Now is the time to live in imitation, to, to be like the Lord, to truly be image bearers. And then we get something very striking, I think, in verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. So uh, under that phrase in our Bibles, tradition from your fathers is literally just one Greek word. The center of that is pater, father. And... (laughs) What father says and commands and passes down, that's what Greeks and Jews believed made a stable society. Listen to your father. Of course, for us, we're like, yeah, who cares if you toss aside what your dad told you? Uh, But that's not for the ancient world. That's not for the first century. And Peter is saying that what has been passed down to you by your fathers, uh, the, the worshiping pleasure The seeking, honoring glory for self at all costs is worthless. Now think about the the challenge of this. Uh, Let's say um, you, 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 uh, Stephen, I'm going to use you. Stephen is a resident of Galatia. And at 30, he hears some Christians preaching the gospel powered by the Holy Spirit. And he wants to believe. And so now he has to think, okay, I know Christ. Now I have to live a life according to what I have uh, confessed and believed in. But for 30 years, Stephen would have been catechized, steeped into what? What his father would pass down to him. This is how you treat others. 
This is how you respond to injustice. This is what you make of suffering. This is how you treat others. And now Stephen is being called by Peter to live differently, to break away from that. You are no longer defined by your family or what was passed down to you. Now you are defined by the blood of Christ. Even the way that Peter is using Jesus' blood here is is a bit shocking. Uh, We know certainly that that Jesus' blood has been presented for the forgiveness of our sins. He'll write about this later, uh, that because of Jesus being wounded by his stripes, you have been healed, obviously quoting Isaiah 53. But here he's saying that the blood of Jesus has redeemed you from the way, the tradition, the life of your fathers. Peter knows that to break away from what your family has valued, what they have taught for you to value, is no easy thing. But he says that Jesus shed his precious blood so that you could break from that and obey. That you could say, I was raised in a home where my father always had, always had to be the, the big man, the alpha male in every situation. But Jesus shed blood so that I could, as Peter will write, submit to one another, be humble. I was raised in a family where the worth of a woman was on her appearance and figure. And so no longer being defined by that, but by the blood of Christ, Clinging to what Peter writes, let your beauty be internal. Put on the quiet person of the heart. Let godliness, kindness, peace, let that be what makes you beautiful before others in the Lord. I was raised in a home where uh, sexual desire was just presented as something every man succumbs to. My father, my older brother, they even introduced me to screens and to films and to magazines. But Peter says, no, uh, your fleshly lust wage war against your soul. This is your life now. Resisting what has been passed down to you and embracing what has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not really much into Father's Day sermons, Uh, But I will make a Father's Day application. Fathers, I I say this very much as your junior. Uh, Many of you have been doing this a lot longer than I have. But do not let this pass by. Peter is saying that, that the weight and influence that a father can have on a family, a culture, society, needs the blood of Jesus to be free from. So the question is, Brothers, what are you handing down to your children? What are you giving them? What are they being raised to understand about their life, their bodies, their neighbors, their community? I'm sure that there are many things that maybe you wish you could pass down to your children. Good things, more opportunities, better investments. Property. I would like to pass those things down to my children as well. But this is really it. This is what must be passed down. The preciousness 
of Jesus Christ and the call to long for his return and imitate him in all areas of life. This is the best thing you can give to your children. And I pray that you would not only be strengthened to live up to this, but you would feel the weight of that call. This is what fathers are called to do. Peter is writing to the church and telling us to be children. To expect that we will receive grace at the return of Jesus Christ and that you can trust the Lord for the end of time. Well, certainly you need to have an, a, a trust and expectation now that the Lord will provide for you this week. He will take care of you and we are also called to imitate him. To be uh, childish in the best way possible. To be like the Lord. So how are you going to respond to this when Monday morning comes? Uh, Maybe you have a morning routine. Maybe the first part of your morning routine is to secure caffeine. That's a big thing, start of the day. Uh, But the reason why I'm asking about your Morning routine is because as much as we would like it to be this way, Christian obedience isn't just going to show up uh, at your door. Wake up, it's Christian obedience. I'm here to make you gentle, peaceful, loving, kind, a servant to your family and to your neighbors. But no, you have to prepare, as Peter has been charging us. So tomorrow morning, how are you going to start your day? Are you going to expect to just ease into the day and somehow become uh, an obedient child? Or will you start the day reminding yourself of the certain hope that you have? The Lord will take care of me. I am his child. And by grace and by the strength of his spirit, answer the call of your adoption. And so... As a child of God, in every area of my life today, I will be holy because my Father is holy. Let's pray. Lord, who are we to receive such a great honor in being children of God? Give us strength to imitate you. Help us to resist the lies of this world the flesh, our former ignorance, or even the unhelpful ways passed down to us by our fathers. So that in every area we may bring glory to you. I pray this in Jesus' name.